0: The Jericho Network on Westwood One.
1: This is Rock Talk with Mitch
0: LaFawn. Mitch
2: LaFawn. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn here on Westwood One. And I am totally, totally jacked up. I am I am on a on a high that you cannot believe. In the last couple of weeks, I have seen Black Star riders. And Saxon at the chance and uh, or at the chance in Poughkeepsie, New York, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Just a great, great evening, a great trip. Just abs- everything was just great. And I had a chance to sit on the bus, uh, really in the same chair, right next to Scott Gorm, legendary guitarist Scott Gorm of Thin Lizzy, and uh, we spoke for. Gosh, uh, easily an hour, maybe maybe 75 minutes, and we covered everything. It was just wow. I mean, as a fan of rock, and I think folks that are listening, you know I'm a fan of rock. It was just wow. That's it. That's it. There's no other word. It's just wow. Uh, and then on Friday, uh, I had a chance to see Foreigner with the band Chilliwack in Ottawa. First time seeing Chilliwack and hearing the song My Girl live wow wow never thought that was actually going to happen so uh, bonus there and foreigner what can you say about foreigner the band with kelly hansen and jeff Pilson are so good and so tight and the songs undeniable i mean it really is like taking out your rolodex of billboard hot 100 singles and just going, yeah, okay, 1983, fine, play it. 1984, fine, yep, play it. We got that. We got one for that year, too. So, wow. And then I came back to the Fairmount Theatre in Montreal, and I got to see a headline show with the Black Star Riders. And uh, what folks may not know is I had a little part in making that happen. I know the band was looking for a gig on an off-date between the Judas Priest tour And I have a friend here who promotes shows, so I put them together and it happened. And it was absolutely stunning and glorious. And listen, when you listen to me, you are going to know, yes, that I am a KISS fan. Yes, that I am a Cheap Trick fan. Yes, I grew up on Aerosmith. But there are certain bands that, especially in North America, fans are not very aware of. Black Star Riders, Thunder, Gothard. I say Gothard. I know if you talk to the band or somebody in Europe, they'll say it's Gothard, but whatever. And I will keep talking about these bands because they need exposure over here. They need to be heard. They need to be listened to. So, yes, Black Star Saxon in Poughkeepsie, Foreigner in Ottawa, Chilliwack in Ottawa, Black Star in Montreal. You thought that was enough? Oh, no. No, no, no. There was then Black Star Riders. Yes, again. Saxon. Yes, again. And Judas Priest. Oh, Judas Priest. Well, let me talk about Judas Priest for a second. Their new album, Firepower, is by far the best hard rock metal album of this year. Probably of the last two, three, four, five years. But let's keep it specific to Judas Priest. Easily. And no offense to whatever they've done with anybody else or after the 2000s. You know, Tim Ripper owns before that. But Firepower is the best Judas Priest album since easily painkiller. And some might argue, some might argue, even better than albums before that. Now... I happen to like Turbo, so I would say it's, it's, you know, best album since Turbo. (laughs) I know. Don't write me on Twitter, at Mitch LaFont, to tell me Turbo's no good. I like Turbo. I like Parental Guidance. I wish the band would play the song Parental Guidance Live. It is such a fun song. And I think that people don't like the Turbo era, not because the songs weren't good, but because of the look, or the band's look wasn't very... Yeah, yeah, Whatever. Parental Guidance and Turbo Lover and all the great songs. So, but firepower, wow. Now, if you think the album's good, if you think the album's good, head out to a show. The band is digging through the back catalog. They are playing songs that haven't been played in 10, 15, 20 years. Some cases ever, uh, as, as the tour started now, of course, now that they're into the first you know, few weeks, um, the songs, of course, are being played, but you know what I mean. So, if Black Star Riders, Saxon, and Judas Priest, or even if just Judas Priest rolls into town alone, you must absolutely go see them. Right? Now, at the beginning of the show, at the top of the show, I said I was jacked up. All these shows got me all wired up, so I'm going to give you a threesome today. That is right. Three interviews, because I'm jacked up, and I've got plenty of energy. So I'm going to give you these three interviews. I have got, from the band, Circus of Power. They have a new album out, called Four. Um, singer, songwriter, lead vocalist, whatever you want to call it, Alex Mitchell. That'll be at the end. I've also got Ronnie Romero, or as folks like to call him these days, Rainbows. Ronnie Romero, or Richie Blackmore's Rainbows, Ronnie Romero, they have a new album out called Memories in Rock 2, with a new song called Waiting for a Sign, which is great, and it really whets the appetite for more, so please, Mr. Blackmore, do not just give me one song and then a bunch of live albums, and then disappear, get into a studio, please, I beg, and give me a full album of you and Ronnie, because together there is magic. There is absolute magic. And since I mentioned Gothard at the beginning of the of my rant, I guess, Ronnie Romero got together with Gothard's Leo Leone, a guitar god that should be revered in North America. And they put a project together called Corleone. And yes. It is fantastic. So So check out The Rainbow, Memories in Rock 2. Check out Corleone. Uh, The album is actually called Greatest Hits Volume 1, which is funny because it's their first album. So check that out. And Ronnie has a uh, other band that he uh, will mention in the interview, so check all of that stuff out. But first, you want firepower, I will give you firepower. Fleming Rasmussen, producer extraordinaire. Goes all the way back to the 70s and before. Producing, 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 but he is known for his work with Metallica. That is right. Master of puppets. You know, little albums like that, that just happen to have changed the world. Or at least the world of rock and heavy metal. So, we will dig in up front with Great stories of production and being in a studio with Metallica from a person who was essential in their career, producer Fleming Rasmussen, and then Ronnie Romero, and then we'll finish with Alec Mitchell. How's that? Is that a show for you? I think that's a show. That sounds like a show. I'm not going to complain, right? So here we go. All the way from hailing from Denmark which, by the way, is where my mom is from, and where she was when I did this interview, it is the one, the only, Fleming Rasmussen. We are speaking with producer Fleming Rasmussen, best known, of course, for his work with Metallica, but he has done so much more. Uh, Fleming, a great, great pleasure to talk to you today.
3: You're welcome. A pleasure to talk to you, too.
2: Yes. Now, one of the reasons we're chatting today is because we share a friend in common, a Pool Martin Nielsen, and he owns 101 Drums, which you can visit online at 101drums.com. And he has come up with a signature black diamond snare for you. So, so let's start there and then we'll get into all the meaty good stuff.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I met him. He came by the studio when I was doing something uh, with uh, Rennie Shades, who is the bass player of Pretty Mates, but who is now doing a solo album. And he, we had Paul Martin Buff there as a producer. Uh, he used to work for Prince and a lot of other people. And Paul came by with uh, with that snare that, um, that he wanted us to try on these recordings. And it took about five seconds for everybody to go yeah we'll use that and uh i decided to i wanted one of those for the studio uh we're now moved to copenhagen to the studio and i got my signature black snare which is absolutely fabulous
2: yeah so i would certainly recommend people go will get that and of course ian hoagland of the band europe is also using the same thing so so check that out folks but yeah uh, Let's let's get into to producing here because uh, a lot of folks know you from of course from the Metallica but before that you did stuff with Rainbow but even before that you work with a Danish band that that has a long standing career named and even though I'm Danish like you we're we're from the Slalza region my my family but Yeah yeah, yeah. Um, my pronunciation of Danish words is not that good, but you work with Mellort, right? Is that how you say malort, it? Mellort, yeah, <laughs> Mellort. And, of course, their first,
3: yes. Which is like a, a herb. Like, uh, you can actually die if you get too much of it. Oh, it really? <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's like a, a medic, medic, medical plant. One of huh? the things you use to do, uh, I think we actually use it in, a, in the Danish schnapps, which is like a really strong liquor that we uh. only drink around Easter and Christmas and get really hammered.
2: <laughs> so, so talk to me about that. I mean, this is sort of your first production stuff. You you work yeah. on the album Cold Krieg, which I believe means yeah, Cold which, War.
3: Cold War, yeah. See? This was in the '80s, where the Cold War was actually really big over here, because you know we were living under the threat of of uh, the nuclear weapons, and we had Russia close by, and we were definitely Denmark is situated so that uh, we for sure would. Be attacked as one of the first nations because we more or less control uh, uh, the entrance to the, to all of the East Sea where Russian has has one of their biggest naval bases. So yeah, we were we were pretty involved in that. Um, I met the band; they were young kids like me then. Um, they played rock music, uh, had slightly political edge to it, but not as political as some of the stuff that was going on in in Europe at the time. Uh, and the fact that they were doing like really real rock music, not like you know granddaddy rock, um, I I can I really liked them and, and I helped produce their first record and it was actually on the studio's own label at the time. So yeah, it was good and yeah. that that actually got them a major deal on on uh, on one of the major labels and and they were one of the biggest band in Denmark for five to ten years.
2: Yeah, and of course they they went on and, and – uh, what's his name? Michael Falsch went on and had yeah. a great solo career. Um,
3: yeah, he's still active actually, which most of the people are from, from the end 70s, beginning of the 80s.
2: Just before we get to, to Rainbow Metallica, Malort, which is maybe not the best way to pronounce it, always yeah. sang in Danish. They never yeah. sang never in went, English.
3: never went English, no. Well, was that something
2: that that was disappointing? Because if you look at the music and you look at the videos and you listen to the sound, they were a rock band like most rock bands mm-hmm. in the '80s. They yeah. they they had the sound of, and I don't really know who to compare them to. I mean, the, I mean the Knack maybe, or I don't know.
3: They, yeah, they, something like yeah. Yeah. You know, but they but they I, had a I was, rock. I was involved, you know, in, influenced by by a lot of these English band television and stuff like that before punk really became, you know, the big thing. They were kind of starting out when, when you know, when punk was getting, they were actually after punk, more or less, and, and try to ride on that itchy kind of rock thing.
2: Yeah, and, and, and it's too bad they didn't go English, because they probably could have had some great success over here. Oh, yeah,
3: they they could have done great. I, I have no idea why they, they did Danish, but probably because Michael, the, the lead singer, uh, he wrote all the lyrics, and he was—I mean—he's considered being quite a poet over here. So, yeah, yeah. No. yeah he still writes good songs.
2: So then, after that, after working with uh, Malort, I, I wish I had a better way to pronounce that. Uh, it's cool. You, you start working with Roger Glover and Rainbow <laughs> with "Difficult to Cure." Uh, talk to me how you well, made at,
3: that, at, yeah. Actually, actually, they the, it all started because they had like a layover day on, on a European tour, and the promoter was a Danish guy called Eric Thompson who did all the big rock tours uh, back then and actually the next 15, 20 years. Uh, he'd done Purple. He did, you know, you right. He did all the big rock, rock tours uh, all over Europe. And they had like a layover weekend in Denmark, and, and he phoned up, and they were doing... They were releasing the single all night long from from the previous album. Right, Down to Earth. Yeah, exactly. And they needed to record the B side for that single, which was an instrumental track called um, Weissheim, which is German and mean, means White Home. So uh, he he, I knew him like you know slightly, and he called me and asked if I was interested in doing that. I went, Richard Blackmore. Oh yes, I'd love to do that. And that was with Cozy Powell on drums. Uh, and he was my big hero at the time so yeah i was really willing and uh, and and you know like it was like a a sunday so they came with all the equipment set it up and i just stuck a mic in front of richie's amp and, and and cranked up you know the volume and and he really enjoyed that and i think you know for us to get a guitar sound in about what 30 seconds actually really made him want to go we're gonna to have to record the next album here but by then half of the band had you know were new uh cozy was out uh uh grand bonnet was out uh and it was uh bobby Rondinello and Jolyn turner so roger and richie was probably the only ones there i don't even remember who played keyboards on to cure whether that was rosenthal or Harry, because um- i met I, I met don on the two albums i did with Richie Uh, and and he's now he stayed with Roger and is now like a firm member of Deep Purple yeah
1: Uh,
2: talk to me a little bit about Difficult to Cure because you mentioned that they had replaced Graham and um, Cozy and of course Cozy one of the greatest drummers known to to mankind i mean just absolutely
3: fantastic fabulous yeah
2: but it's always been said that difficult to cure had been started or the material had been started with graham and then he left were you present with graham at all was was he part of anything No, no no he
3: was not no and he was not part of any of the recordings whether he would have been i'm not sure uh whether he'd actually get him in to help do you know the drum tracks and stuff but but he was uh i never met graham at all uh it was uh joel and turner from day one when when we started recording uh actually you know the the, the five-piece band that was there they 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 were there from day one um and and it was bobby and and Richie Roger Joe, and i for the can't remember who they keep up whether it was don or or wrote David Rosenthal, but you know it was a good it was it was good and they they as always they had to uh 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 two of those songs by the guy who wrote what's his name oh uh, English guy pop songs. Because they always had one of some of those. Oh,
2: uh, Brian Moran?
3: No, 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 no. Uh, he was—he wrote some of the songs. Oh, Russ was, Ballard. Was, Russ Ballard, exactly. They always had two ba- Russ Ballard songs that that, that they knew was going to be the singles, which was the same case on all the albums. Uh, and, and he Richard kind of picked two of the songs he wanted to do. And then they wrote the rest of the stuff themselves. And actually some of the songs on uh, Difficult to Cure is actually written in Copenhagen.
2: Yeah, and of course Russ Ballard, just just great stuff. I mean, stuff. yeah,
3: oh yeah, and and all of their singles, you know, um, they were they were Russ Russ's songs, really, really, really good pop songs. And, and what, so. what's
2: amazing about Russ is that he tried to do the rock star thing and, and get out there, and it, it just never caught on like other people interpreting his songs, whether it's Ace Fraley or, or Rainbow or it's 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 interesting how sometimes it doesn't translate um yeah so so we move on to metallica because this this yeah. is the one so with rainbow you're an engineer lars yeah. has gone on record saying that you never really were a metallica producer you were more just an engineer and uh, talk to me about about working with the band and because here is this nobody band at the time
3: uh, mm-hmm.
2: why take a chance on them? Why, why invite them in and say, okay, come on over. Let's, let's do ride the lightning together.
3: Well, I, I had not heard anything from, from, uh, of Metallica before that. So it was basically one of those, yeah, I, you, I think you sound great. Let's do an album. Um, and, but we were working so tightly together when we did the album that, you know, they were actually calling me dad at one point. So, so, um, um, I may not have changed that much, uh, in production wise, but I had a big say in what was going on. So, you know, that's just lost, but I, I'll, yeah, I'll, I was the, they, they picked me because they wanted my sound. And, and I think the sound that we did on Ryan and Master more or less, uh, kind of changed everything for that band. So, you oh.
2: know. Oh, it absolutely did. Um,
3: oh.
1: yeah.
2: You know, coming into to that, they were, of course, a thrash metal band, a speed metal band, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. And they decided to take on this uh, the, if you want a lack of a better word, a ballad, Fade to Black. Talk mm-hmm. to me about recording that song. Was there any trepidation from the band that maybe the fans would abandon them? Or, uh-oh, what are we doing, slowing stuff down?
3: No, not not at all. I think they had pretty big confidence in in their own songwriting and the songs they were doing. The only thing we spoke on on the first, uh, on Riot, was that they did uh, a a pretty short song uh, that they more or less did so that they had, like, a single. Uh, is, 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 is it Trapped on the Rise? what's you know? There's one song on there, first one on Side 2, that is more or less kind of, uh, or, or if, I can't remember what it is, but there's one song that they kind of felt that they were maybe selling out a bit, but they were on that Megaforce label, and they, they desperately wanted to go on a, on a major label. So it was kind of their way of, you know, policing a major label without knowing what they really wanted since so, since they didn't have anybody to play the ball uh uh to to that. But you know, they that's the only time we kinda talked is this is this too short, too too poppy, too whatever. Um that's that's the only thing where they ever went uh where they where, where they, they questioned went, it yeah question is are we going to do this song or not? I think we ended up doing it.
2: Well, there, there there's certainly one song from that album that they have looked down upon for the last 30 years, and that's Escape. They
3: always It's were that like, one, yeah, 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 it's that one. Yeah, yeah, exactly, because Trapped on the Rise is pretty good. It's Escape, yeah. And that was more or less written to please a, a future major record label so they could throw, you know, put out a single and maybe, you know... Uh, try to get uh, get some attention but i think what happened with it then was that once they got that major deal because of uh the album sold pretty well and and that was mainly because of ride and creeping death and songs like that that they got it that after that went, we're never gonna try to please anybody else but ourselves
2: and that's amazing that they were trying to write a single because Metallica's entire career has been sort of the anti-single. They're, they're not a single exactly, band.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: right. So,
3: so that's this, sort of, this was in the beginning of their career, and you know, I think they probably wanted, you know, to in case they had, you know. They they were gonna play it to a major label there cause, and they went well yeah but there's no single they can say well you can release this as a single because it's the shortest song on on the album, and they, we were actually talking about that whether we should do it or not and we ended up doing it but you know, and that's probably why they never played it live.
2: Well, they played it once <laughs> years later, uh, like yeah, a, like three years value. ago. Um. Yeah. Talk to me, though, also about about the song lengths, because Metallica is known for sort of these six, seven, eight-minute songs, very much not radio or MTV format. I mean, it it was three minutes and a half, that's it. Were there any discussions back in the day about cutting stuff down and getting them to these three-minute versions, that that MTV? or or, or, No, no,
3: no? not at all, never, ever. It was kind of because... I think we felt that the songs were kind of the length they should have, cause, because of the progressions and the way they kind of always came back to where we started, and, and you know always that moment when the riff starts again after a long middle part is always like uh, you know a wow moment, and uh, and and we kind of uh, we kind of hailed that a lot, and, and you know, and I was I was influenced a lot by Roy Thomas Baker because I worked with him on a Danish band called Gasoline and Roy Thomas Vegas, the guy who did all the queen stuff and everything.
2: Yeah. I actually and, remember Gasoline my my
3: Yeah, yeah. They were like <laughs> the biggest thing over here. Um and and uh and he he does a lot of things where if things change a lot and then comes back. I mean, just listen to Bohemian Rhapsody. It's, uh, you know, that was a single, so I think. I guess Metallica thought, well, if Bohemian Rhapsody can be a single, all our songs could be singles. So it's just a matter of being, you know, huge enough to, to tell the label, well, this is our single, forget about everything else. I mean, we never ever tried to, to cut anything down just, just for length. If we cut things out, put things in, it was to improve the song.
2: Right, and and it's funny when you when you say Roy Thomas Baker. Of course, he's known for working with Queen, but I grew up a Cheap Trick fan, and he did one of their yeah, albums. Yeah, he did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, exactly. Uh, um, I guess it was a uh, what was it? I think the album was called One on One, just like the drums.
3: <laughs> yeah, and that's pretty interesting because because uh, we recorded on Justice for All in One on One Studios in North Hollywood.
2: <laughs> oh, did you really? Oh, there you go. Um, Cliff Burton. Walks into the studio that that, that first time for, for the Ride the Lightning sessions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What was your impression of him? Because we looking back now, a li- much like Cozy Powell, we just go, yeah, that's the bass player. Um, yeah. What were your impressions of him when you first saw him and you first heard him plug in and you first heard his tones? Just all those sort <sighs> of firsts with, with Cliff.
3: Uh, That's so far back that I can't really remember it. But, he, I mean, they were all... I mean, all the other guys were, like, you know, energetic and, and, you know, in your face a lot and young kids that wanted, you know, to conquer the world. I've always said that James at that time was an angry young man. Um, But Cliff was kind of the more cool guy. He was actually more like... uh, Like, if if they were... I know Lars was the European in the band, but it felt like Cliff was the European in the band. If you know what I mean, he was more relaxed and you know not always, you know up 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 go go go, and and uh, I remember recording the first bass with him, and, and he had you know he had didn't like wearing headphones, so I actually ended up. Uh, putting up a big set of JBL speakers in the main room and then stick his bass in another room and he could jump around in there and play on uh, to those speakers and I could record the bass that was in another room with you know so so, so it was isolated. Uh so so uh, you know you'd look into the control room and you just you'd just you know from the control room into the studio and you could just see this hair jumping up and down all, all over the place. It was actually pretty funny. But that actually made him perform a lot better. And I've I've later heard some of the some of the tracks we've done. I've recently found uh, somebody posted a rough mix of uh, of two of the songs from from Ride, and it's it's very obvious the the rough mix is made right after we did the bass because the bass is like hell loud, and it's actually really 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 good, and it, it also sounds pretty good. Uh, normally, a Ringo bass which he plays is is not you know the most powerful bass in the world, but it was his sound, and then all his Molly pedals and his stuff that kind of made that that was it. It was it was actually pretty amazing to record him. It was yeah. good.
2: Yeah, it really was. And uh, for fans that want to check out the Gasoline album, and you're gonna have to help me with with the pronunciation, but it's uh, it's from 1976 with Roy Thomas Baker, and it was called. After a new endag. After another day, yeah. <laughs> right after, after. <laughs> new
3: end egg, yeah. And actually, he he actually he actually produced uh, five or six other albums. So he was like, I mean, he he started actually at the you know at the same time he started producing Queen and Trident Studios in London. He was doing Gasoline over here, so somebody must have had a connection or something because he did from Gas three, he did get Gas three four five uh if after if they day is number six i think and he i think he did like five or six albums with him, even a live album that he, rec- he he recorded and mixed so yeah i mean i was really inspired and if you if uh if you go to my old website you' actually see pictures of me and Roy in the studio, which is kind of funny. <laughs> I need to stick those on the new website. Yeah,
2: yeah you really do. And and I, I'm actually looking at the the discography. I mean, it goes all the way back to uh, Gasoline yeah. 3, Gasoline. Yeah, 3. Um, uh, what was the one after 3? Um, uh, it was just called Gasoline in 1974.
3: Last Gym. There, there's just a lot. Last of, Gym, yeah. that's a, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. But And Roy produced like four, five, six, I think six albums. All the way up till uh, they decided to do an album that Felix Pablardi produced, the bass player from Cream, yeah, and produ- you know, great producer. Um, and yeah. and then they started doing mm. it themselves. But mm. this was like at the very end of their career. They they split up in '78. So there you go. It's a ama- yeah. They
2: split up, and in- it's amazing to think that there was all of this stuff going on in the '70s and you were involved as 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 a, an engineer in a lot of them
3: mm-hmm. yeah
2: and yet when when folks call you up they go metallica that, that, there's just yeah, exactly. such a uh yeah so so let's let's get back to metallica for a second and we'll talk about gasoline it's funny because <clears throat> uh when i was a kid in the 70s every summer uh, my mom would take us to denmark and stick us in slalza in Copenhagen. and i never spent a summer in canada until probably I was 25 or something, okay. and so we had all these gasoline albums. We had um Mabel with uh Mike
3: Tramp. Oh, and yeah, the- yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, that's that is so funny. Yeah, White yeah. Lines, Mike Tramp. Yeah, Mike, yeah, he's uh, still touring over here as Mike Tramp.
2: So. Yeah, Michael Trampy Do, I think they it was called back then. So, yeah, the-
3: Michael Tramp-y-do, I think is yeah. his name, yeah. Yeah, so it's just Up funny. Die, yeah.
2: It's funny that that I had these connections to these bands that nobody in North America has heard of. Okay, so Master of Puppets comes next.
3: Yeah,
2: that's the one. When you look back in the annals of big metal albums, or just big albums, uh, culture-changing albums, scenes, i mean, just everything—Master of Puppets is the one. Yeah, uh, and and it was released in March of 1986. It is now March of 2018 so uh, talk to me about 32
3: Mad- years ago yeah isn't that
2: incredible uh, and, and the is, fact yeah, is, is it that feels it,
3: like yesterday
2: <laughs> so, so so talk to me about working on that because when you listen to it today 32 years later it doesn't sound like a 32 year old album it sounds no. like a fresh metal album and, and that's very special and very unique so so talk to me about getting in there with the guys and getting that album made and, and what it was like
3: well actually it was as easy and and fresh as it sounds because um they'd obviously written all the songs before going into the studio they were actually talking about recording it in the states so i went to usa for two weeks to check out studios and we found some places but none of them really fell to to lars's approval so so Eventually, the band ended up going back, uh, deciding to go back to Denmark, and, and we spent like four months recording it, uh, which was the time that we should have, you know, recorded and mixed it. So, so, and that's the reason why Michael Wagner ended up mixing it, because we'd spend all the time we should, and I was like booked for the next year. That was the way it was in those days. And, and from day one till, till the last recording was made it was like everybody had this vision in their heads what it should sound like and we all totally agreed on that so we were all like pulling in the same direction and it was it there was it was there was no discussions there was no real problems it was just we need to get this to sound like this this and this and we just went ahead and did it and it was fantastic and a lot of the stuff that you actually hear on the album, that's that's all made in the recordings. I mean, the beginning of Sanitarium, the starts on Mono and Ghost of Stereo, that's all that's all me f- fucking around the studio while we're recording it. So basically, you just have to push up the faders, and it will sound really, really good. That's some good basic tracks right there. Uh,
2: well, in fact, talk to me about. The, the making of an album because now now you, you 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 turn on the computer, you log on to Pro Tools and you fly stuff in and you fly stuff out. But back then it, you really had to create it. Um how difficult was it of an album to make in term in terms of production? Because
3: It wasn't that difficult. It was just, you know, a lot of hard work. We took some time getting the drums so we had the right feel. Once we had that, we'd started doing r- rhythm guitars, and it was all done on analog tape. We had two tape machines running in sync, uh, so we had like 46 tracks we would operate on. We couldn't move anything in time, as you can today in Pro Tools, because you know, that would mean cutting the tape lengthwise, and that's simply not possible. Um so it was, you know, we just everything that's on Master of Puppets is played the way it is. It's not nobody's been fucking around with that. That's the way it is. Simple as that. Wow. And uh and that that just took some time to get that that level of precision. And and, and sound wise we were all more or less on the same page. We had they had gotten a new sponsor deal with Boogie because uh, Ride right, the Lightning is all made on Marshall amps. And suddenly, they uh, now they had these Boogie amps, and I thought they sounded like crap. So I, f- I tweaked them quite a bit, and I actually stuck a, uh, a, a an EQ at the insert point of the back of the amp. So I could sit in the control room and actually eq on the amp, which was kind of freaky, but it worked. Um, and, and that more or less, you know, we, we scoped that sound to sound exactly like that. And we did spend a lot of time getting the guitar sounds and I, it's all documented. I have these notes from, from Master and and, 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 the Injustice albums. And, and there's, we, we, we fought so much around with the sound cause, cause that was getting sounds for, you know, they were simply, you know, they were also really focused on how the album sounded because they they hadn't had that album that sounded so as good as they knew the band sounded. And Master of Puppets was probably the first one that turned out that way. And oh. and also we had this, we didn't want any reverb on there. They were like anti reverb. <laughs> so uh, instead, I, I, I used a lot of time recording, you know, sticking up room mics and recording those and blending them into the sound because most of the guitars ended up on one track and mono because we needed to preserve the amount of tracks because we needed them to record other stuff on and not like you can do today in Pro Tools where you just do four mics and then decide later which one you want to use. This was all bounced down to to mono when we recorded it. And there was just like tons of guitar tracks. So yeah, there that, that was a lot. That, a lot of work went into it, but it was it was not difficult as such because we everybody had the same vision of what the album should sound like. It was just hard work, and it took a long time.
2: Yeah, and it was such a craft back then. Um, one of the things that uh, that fans talk about with that album and other. Metallic albums down the road, of course, is uh, Lars's drum sound. I mean, if you look at what he did on Saint Anger, I guess in 2003 Mm or 2004, it sort of left people scratching their head. But on Master of Puppets, Mm -hmm. it's just phenomenal sound, phenomenal... Talk to me just quickly about Lars's drum sound overall over the years, oh. but also specifically on Master. Well, what did it take to capture
3: Master that? of Puppets? Yeah, and that was the reason why they wanted to record in Denmark again because the the studio layout was such that we had the stu- main studio, which was on the second second floor of a, a really like long industrial building, and we had no neighbors. So so where at the end where the studio ended, there was just this huge empty warehouse which was like what 12 15 feet high and and like uh 30 by 30 feet all wooden floors uh concrete wa- uh, 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 brick walls and, and a wooden ceiling and there was nothing in there it's just a storage room and we stuck Lysi's drums in there because they sounded really loud so 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 all of lice's drums are like closed mic, but then the overheads and the room mics, I had like a mic in each corner, and, and they all blended in to get that sound. And also we were really meticulous about tuning the drums. So Lars had hired another guitar player, and actually his name was Fleming too. And, and he was Lars' drum rody till I think a couple of years ago, so he's been working for Lars for like 30-something years. And he would like come in, because we would uh, we would work at night. We would start at we would meet up at my house at six. My wife had made dinner for everybody. We'd talk about what we needed to do. Then we'd walk from my house, which was literally three minutes walk from the studio, walk down to the studio and get started. And would start tuning the drums so they all sounded the way they did the day before. And then we would you know simply start banging it in. And would work all night. Till about three, four, five ish, uh, and and once we were done, we'd have a beer, sit and talk, or maybe play some poker, and they would be back at the hotel at six thirty because that was when, when the breakfast buffet opened, so they could pig out on the breakfast buffet. <laughs> so that was that was the day that was the day in the making of, of, of uh, Master of Puppets, and we, we you know we'd all start having dinner at my house, so it was it was, it was very cozy. It was. Nobody was arguing. Everybody knew what was going on. It was fabulous. Uh, the
2: the, the so, good yeah. old days. And then uh, the last album you had uh, a hand in, of course, was Injustice for All. Now, I speak to to Steve Thompson uh, regularly, and he
3: mm-hmm.
2: he bemoans the fact that Lars had the bass stripped after the mixes were, were done. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, talk to me about this, because it, it is – one of the greatest albums ever made. When you go to mm-hmm. a Metallica show and you see them play one, and you see Shortest Straw, and you see
3: mm.
2: Eye of the Beholder,
3: Harvester of you know, Sorrow,
2: just black just, just massive, oh. massive songs. I mean, just. But when you put on the album, you go, mm, "Yeah, I'm missing something here." Uh, uh, talk
3: to me about well, that in the, imagine, and the frustration. Imagine how I felt when I heard the mix. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, what the. But like, it made the guitars and the drums louder, but it was still like, really? because well, when I they thought talk- they were I thought they were joking with me when I heard it first. I went, what the hell have you done? And well, I'm probably one of the few people in the world who's ever heard uh, Jason's uh, bass playing on that album, and it's actually really, really good. He was a hell of a good bass player. Still is. Still is.
2: Well, because I know yeah. when I talk to Steve Thompson about it, he says that he was so incensed by the sound of it, that he wanted his name taken off the album. Were you at that point where you said,
3: "Hey"? Uh, no, 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 no. I don't. Uh, okay. I've done so many albums. I don't. I mean, you know, they can do sa- whatever they want. You know, okay. I don't give a flying thought. So yeah, can you say fuck on Canadian radio?
2: <laughs> yes, you, you certainly can. Um. <laughs> now, of course, fans over the years have have clamored for a remix and a remaster and a this and that, mm-hmm. but but.
3: Is that well, the actually physical? It's com- right. coming out now. Okay. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually in, in in the process of sending stuff to Metallica and and writing, you know, an essay about how it was to record it and what we did and all this stuff. Because uh, like as last year was the Master of Puppet reissue year. Uh, uh, um and oh, Justice and year, is gonna, right. it's a, it's going to come. Yeah, November 1988? All right. It's it's gonna come out this November, I guess. You know, uh, and the same thing. You know, uh, vinyls and loads of CDs and rough mixes and you know, all demos and the works and a big book and everything. So yeah, you, you're gonna you you're probably. I'm I'm guessing that the uh, the main version, the uh the you know like you know the Remaster thing is going to sound more or less as as it's done all the time, but then there might be alternative versions on there. I know for sure that nobody's asked me to remix it or anything, and I'm pretty sure nobody asked Steve Thompson and Michael Barbiero to do that either. So I think they they just you know they're going to go with the remastering thing. Whether they're going to stick more bass in there, I have no idea. But, but you know, let's let's see when it comes out. Would it even be possible to do that because? It
2: was probably recorded on two-inch tape back in the day. Which it's did have-
3: all recorded on two-inch tape, and and uh, we I edited it so much in the drum tracks that. Um- Pretty sure uh, that, that they're all going to fall apart if you start playing them now. You need to probably need to to retape them together again. Uh, whether or not somebody transferred that to digital, I have no idea. Then the question is, when did they do that, and 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 what does that sound like? Because yeah, you, you, when you, once you change the format, you're fucked, right? But yeah, you know, um, yeah. there it's we'll see. Probably in November, it's going to be out. So yeah. So we're working on that right now, but I don't think they're gonna remix it or anything. I have no idea.
2: Yeah, and well, it's also probably not remixable because of having to bake the tapes, and they're so old, and there's so many splices and all that stuff. Um,
3: exactly. Yeah.
2: Would Would you be offended if they called um, Jason back in and said, "Hey, it's 2018. You want to just try recutting these? Would that Would that sort of tamper with? the specialness of the album or is that a solution
3: that is definitely not a solution okay uh what they should do is 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 i mean if they want to do it they should get get because they have the tapes i know for sure they have all the tapes i mean they they've always been really meticulous about getting all the raw material so they have that which is a thing a lot of bands could learn a lot from you know know where your masters are hang on to them because you know they do disappear, and if once they're lost, nobody knows where the hell they are, and, and you can take like forever finding them again. Metallica definitely has the tapes. They they would be salvageable for sure. I mean, you could actually stick it in there and do a new mix of Injustice. You could probably do a new mix of all the albums if you wanted to. So so yeah, that's that's just a question of deciding whether you want to do that or not. I would. I would not do it if I was Metallica because that album is so iconic so you know changing that would also go oh uh, we fucked up and I'm, and, you know an album that has that status I don't think you can go and say well we fucked up I mean they did what they did and you know they stuck by it and that's it it was just you know a fluke or whatever or a joke or I have no idea what it was but you know I think you should leave it the way it is because that is what changed the life of so many people f- uh, f- in in 1988 there's a whole genre of music that's inspired by uh, injustice for all so so you can't go well let's change it because we fucked up sorry
2: yeah, and, and and there is that important lesson that you just mentioned for young bands is really have that hands-on approach to your career. Don't just leave it to managers and to record companies. Get in there, get your masters, and and yeah, be 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 aware of what's going on. Um, and and, and then we'll finish off here because I know we we're, we're running out. Yeah, of time. I have
3: I have to leave in about five minutes.
2: Yeah, so I do want to talk about Sweet Silence Studios North, but just before that, just. Uh, when the band moved on to do uh, the Metallica album, which fans refer to as the Black album, yeah. um, they were really sort of trying to become, I don't want to say we're trying to become, but it was it, it was part of a Renouveau, uh, being maybe more MTV darlings. Were you sad to see them go, sort of sad to not call you back in, or was it like, hey? I was
3: on standby for that album. Okay. Because, uh, uh, yeah, I was... They... Cause, cause I actually had to turn down doing a Justice for All because I was booked. So they started that out with Mike Clink, and and like three weeks into the session, last called me and went and it just said three words: When can you come? Uh, and and I, I I went over there like in February 14th, and and Mike Clink got fired, and they did, they started this to do the back album with Bob Rock, and they would they were simply afraid that it would not work. So they actually hired me to be standby in case it didn't work with Bob Rock. So I was, you know, I was involved in that.
2: We're, and then, uh, since I know you're running out of time, Sweet Silent Studios is is still active out in, uh, yeah. in Denmark? No, no,
3: it, it, it's, uh, I actually uh, moved it back to Copenhagen last okay. month. So, we're, we're, uh, we're sweet silent studios now in Copenhagen, and we're smack in the middle of uh, a big rehearsal compound with 50 other bands. My next-door neighbor is, is Voidbeat. So, yeah, <laughs> we're actually, I'm, I'm meeting them on a regular basis, like, hi, guys, how's it going and stuff. So that's like 50 other bands there, and the studio smack in the middle of that. So, yeah, I'm uh, back in Copenhagen, and it's, I'm actually busier than ever. And actually the drummer from Gasoline, yeah, which was the first thing we ever recorded in Sweet Silent Studio, he's got his own band now. And that was the first band I recorded in the new studio. So, yeah, history is repeating itself. That's great. And yeah, and it's, it's a fabulous place. It sounds amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. So any Canadian band that needs good sound, just give me a call.
2: Give you a call. <laughs> and, and, and and as a fan, I certainly would love to see uh, Lars and, and the boys come back and do something with you just for uh, just for the fun of it. I mean, why not?
3: We've, we've never ruled it out. It was, you know, uh, they were t- t- doing something. I was doing something else. So, and we still meet on a regular basis. So, I mean, there's no bad feelings or anything. We're still pals. So everything's cool
2: yeah it really is and and they've made basically four iconic albums if you include the the black album and three of them
3: oh yeah yeah are oh, yours yeah. <laughs> i think the black album is absolutely fantastic so do um, i oh, yeah. i love
2: it so there you yeah,
3: go yeah me too yeah there
2: you go uh, as we say in uh, in danish attack and uh
3: tak. you are <laughs> yes. welcome and yeah
2: absolute pleasure uh, thanks let's talk soon cheers you. you bet cheers. bye cheers bye-bye
3: you're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon.
2: Rock Talk. And welcome back to uh, Rock Talk with Mitch Lafon here on Westwood One. And if a interview with Metallica wasn't iconic enough for you, how about we follow up with a Richie Blackmore's Rainbow interview? I have new singer Ronnie Romero talking about the new album, Memories in Rock 2, that features the new song, Waiting for a Sign, and I gotta tell you, I love it. I think it is a fabulous, fabulous song. And if that wasn't enough, Ronnie talks about the band or the Swiss band, Gothard, one of my absolute favorite. He has gotten together with guitarist Leo Leone and re-recorded some of Gothard's early uh, releases, early songs. So Metallica followed by Rainbow. eh? Come on. I'm trying. I'm trying hard to please the fans, right? I'm giving you what I think is the greatest. So here we are. Without further ado, from Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, it is the one, the only singer, Ronnie Romero. We are speaking with vocalist Ronnie Romero. He is, of course, part of Lords of the Black, but is the singer for Richie Blackmore's Rainbow new album, is Memories in Rock 2. Ronnie, a great... Great pleasure to speak with you. I'm a pleasure. How you doing? Good, good. So let, let's. you've done a bunch of projects that I'm really excited about. You've done Corleone with the guys from Gothard. You've done this with Richie Blackmore. And, of course, you have your own band. But let, let's start off with the Rainbow stuff. Um, I interviewed uh, Candice about a year ago or six months ago. And she said that you were the absolute perfect choice for a vocalist. You checked off all the boxes. Great performer, great voice. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with her. From what I've seen on YouTube and from the albums I have with your voice on it, fantastic. Um, talk to me about working with, and we'll call him a legend, like Richie Blackmore.
4: Yeah. Well, uh, in fact, I was very surprised from the very beginning because, obviously, to me, like, um, like uh, Richie Blackmore and Deep Purple and Rainbow fan. Uh, I mean, I'm talking that uh, I'm starting to listen to Deep Purple when I was seven years old with my father. So, uh, in fact, my father introduced me to the to the Richie Blackmore music. And, uh, you know, you have this... Uh, you had the, the people used to have this idea that Richie is a very uh, hard person to handle. And, uh, it's a strong character and whatever, you know. Uh, but uh, I was really surprised... Uh, about the fact that Richie is a very nice guy. Um, I mean, everybody on the on the Rainbow Crew, on the Rainbow uh, family, uh, is a very nice person. Uh, as uh, Candice is, of course. And um, and yeah, it was very. It's very easy. It was very easy to me from the very beginning. They was try. here uh, they always try to make me feel comfortable, um, and. Um, and then, yeah, it was very, was very, and is very easy to work with. So, yeah, I think it's great. It really is. Now, uh, Candice at the time had told me that she
2: found you by searching on YouTube. Um, talk to me about how they first reached out. I mean, here, here she is sitting at home with Richie, and they're going yes. through YouTube videos, and they see you. Uh, how did they reach out? And, and did you believe them at first when they say, hey, it's Richie Blackmore calling? Were you like, yeah, right, buddy. Or talk to me
4: about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very funny. It was very funny because, um, you know, because this time difference between uh, America and, and Spain, uh, Candice put in contact to me. They uh, She just uh, sent me an, an a message, a direct message by Twitter. And then I was working by the morning in, in Spain. Um, so yeah, I have been, been working and and then I just received this, this message and it was kind of a, uh, what are you talking about? I mean, it's i I'm just been looking for some hiding cameras or something like that, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I just, uh, received this email and, and, and was a kind of a, I don't know how to say, um, shocked moment, you know? Uh, but yeah, uh, was uh, was a kind of a was a kind of a shock at moment, and I didn't realize, in fact, even after a couple of weeks, that I am really and that I am very um, um putting in contact with right. with Rich and, and Candice. Yeah. Um, the
2: new song "Waiting for yeah. a Sign." Yeah, I, I've been listening to it. I have I have you know access to it to an advance. It it is just a spectacular song. Talk to me about working on that song. Does does Richie and Candice come to you with a finished song and say, listen, buddy, just put your vocals on it? Or was there a process of you writing with them and figuring stuff out?
4: No, I didn't write it, but, um, yeah, uh, Richie just sent me the song uh, with uh, Candice and vocals, but um, uh, didn't give me any instruction to uh, re- to go to the recording session you know it was a kind of a uh, hey you have a song just listen it and and if you want to try just go to the studio and 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 take your shot and and if you want to try to put something or, or add something you're free to do it so they give me enough freedom to to put my my own vocal style obviously and and if you want to make some changes or whatever so I think it, was um was great because obviously I mean the, the song it's <laughs> the song is great from the very beginning even with even with Candice on vocals I mean they probably if they they want to release with Candice on vocals it will be great <laughs> but uh, yeah they gave me enough freedom to do to do my best in my in my in my own way. Talk to me about balancing your workload between.
2: Uh, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, Corleone, and Lords of mm. Black. Where's your focus? Because I, I would, I would imagine that the money is to be made with Rainbow, and then Corleone would be second, and maybe Lords. But there is something about singing your own songs. Talk to me, yeah. sort of where the focus is, and, and you know, how do you balance everything?
4: I mean, obviously, the focus is the music, and 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 have fun and and be happy. You know. Um, there is a lot of uh, offers uh, since uh, I've been in, in in Rainbow. Obviously, because you are the Rainbow singer, and everybody wants to work with you because the name or whatever. But uh, I always try to uh, to be focused in in my own band, of course, because I started this band since uh, five years ago. In fact, it's um, Lords of Black is my. Uh, it's the first band that I start from the very beginning so uh, obviously it's very important for to me uh um this rainbow uh, work uh is very easy because uh we just uh play one month in a year so uh so I think it's great but uh, obviously it's not my in, in this is not my most important thing in terms of time during the year right um but it and certainly then,
2: helps, Lords of the Black. I mean, uh, Icons of the New Days is coming yeah. out in in May, and a lot of people are focusing on it because, just when you look at the press releases or even at uh, online, it says Lords of the Black featuring Rainbow yeah. singer Ronnie Romero. Right. So, so it does sort of up the market value.
4: Yeah, yeah. It's it's weird. In fact, I feel like a, a little bit uh, weird about that uh because, like I told you I started this band from the very beginning with tony um since five years ago we start just in his house writing the songs uh pre producing the songs during uh more than a year so yeah obviously it's my it's my main band you know and then and then I would start to work with with uh, Leo on the Corleone thing because I thought that was uh, yeah, there is a great idea. To record to re-record the songs and and obviously love the the way to uh, the way to he can play guitar and yeah. and I think the songs are great and and that's it. Like I told you, it's about uh, yeah. it's about have fun, it's about to be happy and and be around to uh, 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 nice people, and that's it.
2: Yeah, and I and I I'm gonna do a couple more rainbow questions, but then I want to get to Corleone because I'm I'm a gothard fan and. The the way you handled Downtown and Fire Dance and all those songs, it really gave me goosebumps because I really thought that Steve Lee was irreplaceable. And I don't want to say that you've replaced him, but you brought that spirit to those songs, and I went, oh, yeah, okay, <laughs> this guy's got something. But let's get to that in a second here. Let, let, let's talk vocalists in Rainbow. Ronnie James Dio, Joe Lynn Turner, Graham Bonnet, and even Doogie White – um you've got some of the biggest names not only in rock but just in music in general i mean how how do you sort of surpass ronnie james dio um talk to me about approaching these songs because i i heard your version of temple of the king i've heard your yep. version of mistreated I've heard... you handle them like a pro so so talk to me was there a fear that you're not going to be able to because when you're doing since you've to mistreated to man on the silver mountain you're not just switching songs; you're switching vocalists and vocal styles. Talk to me about those challenges and how do you prepare?
4: Uh, well, um, to me, it's uh, very easy in a way uh, because um, I, I just grow up with all this, all the songs. You know, uh, like I told you uh, at the at the beginning of the of the interview, um, I was starting to listen uh, the Richard Blackmore's music when I was six or seven years old because my father was a really big uh, Deep Purple fan. So you can imagine uh, for a singer like me to grow up listening to songs, uh, uh, singing, singing the songs in, in front of a mirror, uh, trying to be David Coverdale, John Turner, James Dio, you know. Uh, so at this moment, when I started to work with with Rainbow, it was a kind of a... Hey, I know this songs since uh, thirty years ago. So uh, the approach uh, and and the vocal style, it's uh, very familiar to me. So on this way, it's very easy. On the other way, um, I have enough freedom to uh, perform these songs in in my own in my own style. Richie gave me those uh, this uh, freedom to do it. Uh, so it's uh, in this way, it's very easy. But uh, on the other hand, it's a big responsibility because they are very uh, well-known songs for the fans. There are songs that people really love in the original style, original way. So uh, yeah, I mean, um, I'm just trying to do it in 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 the best way that I can, and try to enjoy, and 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 again try to be focused on the on the how funny is to. To
2: sing this, uh, these songs well wow, you're doing great we've had memories in rock live in Germany we've had live in Birmingham now we have memories in rock two uh, live albums mm-hmm. do we do we see a full album of new material at some point because if you judge by the new song um, waiting for a sign we need I, I need nine more because that's some great mm-hmm. stuff so is, is there any talk of a new new album with new material
4: uh well not really uh we're not talking about uh, um, open it with open mind, you know. Like, uh, hey, we want to record this, uh, but uh, there is some uh, certain feelings about uh, since uh, last year. I uh, even since the first year with, we've been touring, and I remember the last uh, the last show, the the first year in uh, 2016, we played Birmingham, and then after that was a great feeling about. How does it work with uh, all together and and then um, yeah, like I told you, we have some certain feelings about. Hey, maybe this this can or maybe this is gonna work or maybe we can do this in a way. So we will see what happens because obviously it all depends on 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 Richie.
2: It really does. Uh, let me let me switch over to Corleone for a second yeah. here. Uh, the last time I spoke to, to Leo, uh, lucky enough that I get to, to text with him every so often, he was telling me that there is going to be a The Greatest Hits Part 2 and a Greatest Hits Part 3. Um, mm. The Greatest Hits Part 1 is out now. Yep. Fabulous sounding. I mean, even the El Trador is, is a great, great version. Where are we in terms of the next package? Did you sort of record everything at once and we will slowly release them? Or are you planning Greatest Hits Part 2 as we speak?
4: Yeah, we we are planning to even uh, to record the part two. I mean, in fact, we already played on live some songs that uh, we are not recording yet uh, because we need to fulfill this uh, set list. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, um, we are not planning... From the very beginning, we are not planning anything. It was a kind of a... I don't know. Uh, I met Leo... Um, uh, Two or three years ago, because my with my band we've been uh, supporting his uh, Spanish tour, and um, and then he put in contact to me uh, to uh, you know see what what uh, what's happened with this possibility to record something together or whatever, and then I went to his home. Uh, we've been talking, we've been uh, sharing some beers, and then we went to the studio. We recorded Fidance I remember it was the first song, and and that's it. I mean, you know, hey, this is uh, going to work, so uh, let's do it. So uh, we've been recording uh, more songs, and then I come back to his house, and we've been recording uh, uh, the rest of the songs for the album, and now we're not playing, planning. Uh, we're planning touring, um, but we're not planning recording, recording anything yet. But uh, yeah, definitely we're going to do it, and there is some... Uh, four or five songs that we are already playing on the on the set list that probably we wanna we wanna record.
2: Are those uh, goth art songs that you're playing, or are those new compositions?
4: In uh, fact, there is some goth uh songs um, at the beginning, but okay. um, obviously, uh, I think uh, the "Walk on Water" song works really well. Uh, the people like it, so uh, yeah, probably wanna. The next album it's gonna be a kind of a mix between uh, between the Gother songs and and new material.
2: I'm looking forward to that. Now, let, let me move over real quick here to Lords of the Black, and, and I I might come back to gothard because I love that band more than than you know. <laughs> but um, Lords of the Black is is very different, of course, to what Rainbow does. Rainbow is you know more of that classic rock. Gothard yeah. is more of that sort of 80s 90s rock. Uh, lords of the black a lot more power metal a lot more metal Uh, talk to me about that project because it really is a completely different style of music i mean if a rainbow Mm -hmm. fan follows you and says well i'll go check out this band they're going to get lords of the black and they're going to say oh okay it's not really a rock album it's more of a metal album talk to me about putting it together and does being with Corleone and, and Rainbow sort of change the musical focus of Lords of
4: Black? No, not really. I mean, I, I think I have enough time to
1: <laughs>
4: to attend the the three projects <laughs> in a good way. You know, uh, uh, I think the people is uh, sometimes is wrong about about my schedule. <laughs> you know? uh, I think I have enough time to to doing right uh, Lords of Black, Corleone, and obviously Rainbow, and um, yeah, I mean it's uh, and I love it because uh, there are, you have three different uh, projects in stylistic uh, way. You know, there is not uh, how boring can be to be in a three uh, you know uh, hard rock bands or being a three uh, heavy rock <laughs> or heavy metal bands. It's gonna be could be very 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 um, boring. So uh, I love that. I can play in Raybo because it's uh, obviously my can- my favorite kind of music, uh, this classic hard rock, and then I have this uh, Go- uh, Corleone thing that it's uh, kind of a hard rock music that I love to sing too, and then obviously I have my band which is uh, a little bit different because it's more heavy, but we have a very classic and uh, very classic influences. So uh, uh, to me, Lords of Black is a kind of a mix. Between uh, the other, the other, the other projects, so uh, I think it's great, and I think that the people in a way like it. Yeah, I, I think they will talk to me about Icons of the
2: New Day. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about putting that album together. When was this done? Because between the Corleone and the and the Rainbow and stuff, mm. was this something that was done a couple of years back? Or, or is this something that was done recently? Uh, talk to me about writing it and putting it
4: together. Yeah, it was very hard, in fact, because. Uh, because I've been touring uh, a lot last year, and and we need to postpone the release. In fact, the album is supposed to be released um, on on January. Um, but uh, was uh, kind of a hard work because um, we write all the songs, and then we start releasing the songs uh, before to delivery to the label, and and we don't like it uh and uh, we think to to change some things because uh at the beginning the new sounds the new songs uh, sounds very very similar to the to the to the other albums to the first album and the second and uh we try to change some things and and, and try to sound different uh so uh, the writing we restart the writing process and the pre-production and then we went to the studio uh, in September, uh, which is supposed to be the 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 time we need to uh, deliver to the label the master. So yeah, it was very hard. And um, and then uh, we finished uh, to record in December between a Russian tour with my band and and starting their rehearsal with Rainbow and yeah was uh, was a kind of a hard work it really was and, and
2: what I find uh, great also is your choice of bonus tracks on Lords of the yeah. Black 2 you had a Rainbow cover Lady of the Lake and then yeah. on the new one if you get the deluxe edition you're going to be covering only by Anthrax uh yeah talk to me about that I in fact I just spoke to john bush the other day that is such a great song talk to me about yeah. these these covers that you, you've got um, tears of the dragon by bruce dickinson age yeah. of the blade by journey talk to me about picking those ones why why anthrax only and why bruce dickinson tears of the dragon which is an epic song by the
4: way yeah yeah like i told you i mean we have uh, we are we are a very uh, heavy metal uh, band uh some people say this is a power metal band but we have very very classic influences. I mean my favorite bands is the purple and rainbow and and a lot of classics, American classics like Kansas and Boston and Journey of course. Um and for my bandmates, uh, obviously Adam Maiden and Metallica and Anthrax and all this kind of uh bands Finlisi. Uh, and uh yeah we always try to put uh, this uh uh kind of uh different songs uh not just different from the st- style but uh we always try to choose uh, a kind of um b sides, you know but it's not too obvious to uh to to record so uh in fact with this uh anthrax uh, a tears of the- tears of the dragon and um the journey the journey yeah a tears of the dragon and anthrax we recorded for the second album in fact, it was recorded at the same time that Lady of the Lake and Innuendo from Queen. Uh, but it uh, was a decision from the label to not release the that, that, uh, two songs. Uh, so they just released uh, Innuendo and Lady of the Lake. And uh, this time we want to record uh, uh, Edge of the Blade from Journey because uh, we played it live on the Proc Power Metal in Atlanta last year. And the reaction from the audience was really great. So uh, we thought, hey, why not uh, to record the song and put it on the on album? The, on the album. The album. Uh, because it was a great idea.
2: <laughs> it really was. Um, and let me just get back to Rainbow for a second. When Richie announced that he was going to come back and do some shows and, and pay tribute yeah. to to the old material, a lot of fans went online and said, well, you got to get Joe Lynn Turner. Well, you got to get Graham Bonnet. <laughs> well, well, well. And there was a lot of hate for you before anybody ever saw you. Now, you've managed to sort of quell that hate just by coming out there and doing the songs. But talk to me about that time where you must have seen on the internet people saying all kinds of horrible things without even knowing who you were. Yeah. A- and was that depressing, or did that sort of give you motivation to say, oh, yeah? All right, let me show you, mother. You know?
4: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, to... uh, uh, was, um, I didn't realize. In fact, you know, it was kind of a. I mean, I like I told you, I always try to uh, to have fun and and be happy. So uh, when when Richie called me and all this rainbow thing happens, uh, obviously was was a dream come true to me to to have this possibility to to work with with him, and I didn't realize about uh, any uh, uh, internet comment. And the other way, I mean, it's uh, the people can do it. I mean, if you have, if you all have uh, internet connection, you can, you can say whatever. That's the, that's the unfair thing about the, about the internet. So um, I don't care. I mean, I'm just trying to, to, to be happy, enjoy this, uh, this uh, experience, and and try to do my best. Obviously, with all respect to the to johnny Turner, graham bonnet uh and uh, david cobert and, david Towers, and, Hilly, and right. because in fact they are my heroes you know it's, it's, it's the singers that i that i grow up <laughs> listening his music and yeah and his songs so uh i really i really love all of them even oh. when some of them they don't like me <laughs> but i can understand <laughs> but it's, it, it's got to be a great time
2: in your life i mean just just yeah. the fact that you get to do this um and then we'll, we'll finish with this. I'll just ask you about uh, the two guitarists because they are both guitar heroes to me. Uh, just talk to me about Richie Blackmore and, and what it's like sort of being on stage with him and seeing him do what he does. Talk to me about his guitar playing and, and, and what you notice and what it's like to have him behind you. And then we'll, we'll move over to Leo in a second.
4: Yeah, it's great. You know, it's. Um, I remember the uh, the first shows that we made in, in Lorelei a couple of years ago. I didn't realize that I'd been on stage with Richard Richie Blackmores uh after a couple of weeks <laughs> because obviously to me it was a very kind of a stressful moment and 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 uh like I told you, I I didn't realize about that. But uh was uh was one thing that I I've been really surprised because on the first rehearsal that I had with Rainbow oh, three years ago we we went on the Richie's house and we started to rehearse acoustically, and I was very surprised about his ability to to play the song still in a great way. You know, I'm just been thinking about, hey, maybe I don't know. I mean, he's this 70 years old guy and and he's playing a different kind of music since uh, 30 years ago and. But uh, at, from the very beginning, was real great, and even on the stage, his confidence to play the songs, and and his attitude uh, in front of the audience was really was really great to me, and was really uh, kind of me uh, supporting, supportive uh, thing, you know. I was, hey, if he can do it, I can do it too, and he gave me enough confidence to do it right. So it was was that was the most important thing that I that he realized about to play with, with with Richie for the first time.
2: Yeah, it really is. And yeah. um,
4: Memories in Rock uh, 2, yeah. Richie
2: Blackmore's Rainbow, is uh, out in April. And then uh, we'll just finish with Leo Leone. He, he mm-hmm. of course, of Gothard, which I've mentioned a bunch of times, uh, very much underappreciated in North America. In fact, most people here have no clue who he is. But if you listen to his playing and you go back through his entire discography and everything... He is to me as much a guitar hero as a Zach Wild, as 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 any of them. Just mm-hmm. a great, great player. Uh, just, just you know, help, help me introduce Leo to the North American fans because he's he's yeah. so undervalued here,
4: terribly undervalued. Yeah, yeah. In fact, he he is. Even I mean, uh, for the people, uh, for the people to uh, with my age. Um, I need to be uh, honest about this because uh, when we we when we've been supporting uh, Gotthard with my band in Spain, I didn't know about anything about this band. Uh, we just uh, uh, we just uh, received this offer to hey guys, you want to play with Gotthard and support a couple of acts there in Spain and blah blah blah, and we say yeah yeah cool of course. And then I didn't know anything about the band uh, and um <laughs> we've been we've been watching the first show, was <laughs> really surprised. I mean I'm in shock. I mean uh, the songs uh, even they are really play with uh, with uh, Nick Mather on the on the yeah. on the vocals. Yeah, Nick's great. Yeah. And it was really great to watch the the show was I mean. What a songs, well... The way that they can play, the the way that it sounds like a band, you know. And then Leo offered me this uh, this uh, new project, and that was the time that I went into, you know, I mean deeply into the into the music and starting to listen to the first records and 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 was a uh, wow was a uh, blow my mind. I mean the way that, the way that Steve. Uh, used to used to sing and and the songs. Are, I think it's our really great, a uh, really great vibe, and, and and was really great to record the songs. Yeah. But the most important thing is how the people react about these songs on live when we perform on live. I think it's I think it's amazing. I mean, uh, I don't have any similar reaction with any other band with any other uh, project that I that I worked that you do well in fact just uh, i'll finish on that then
2: since you didn't know gothard really and you said okay we'll just take this offer and go play with these guys when you went back and rediscovered the songs like fire dance and downtown what did you think of steve lee's voice because i I really personally think he's one of the greatest rock vocalists ever Yeah. Uh, yeah but what was that like for you sort of hearing these and going oh
4: okay uh what was that like yeah yeah it was exactly like that i mean I' started starting to listen the the first the first records you know uh and 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 I say, hey, wait a minute. i mean it's not that easy <laughs> that I thought you know <laughs> uh uh was very in fact there is a couple of songs that was very, very hard to record because uh he used to have a, such a, such a voice i mean not just the uh, the color but the range and uh, the passion and the interpretation you know it's and that's very difficult to find in a in a singer i mean because you, there are some singers that that you can say hey good singer and yeah it's great a great voice or whatever but they don't tell you anything with this performance and and with steve was very uh was very um, passionate. A lot of passion yeah. in his voice. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously like uh, like David Coverdale or at the same. I mean, at, yeah. at the same level that oh, Ian uh, and David Coverdale. Absolutely,
2: others. absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, Ronnie, great pleasure today. So let me remind fans what where we can see you and where we can find you. Have got Richie Blackmore's Rainbow Memories in Rock Two, coming yeah. out in April. Then there's Lords of Black. And do we have to say featuring Rainbow Singer Ronnie? No. Uh, (laughs) Lords of Black, Icons of the New Days, comes out in May. And if you need some Ronnie right now, you can pick up Corleone, The Greatest Hits, Part One. I have uh, had a chance to hear all three albums: The Corleone, The Memories, and Rock. Just absolute classic, classic. You got to get those. And The Lords of the Black, wow, that is some fabulous new metal for you. So, you know, hey. Gracias or or whatever we say, <laughs> but it's just thank you. Your, your 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 voice and the project you're involved in are just fantastic.
4: Thank you very much.
2: Appreciate thank, it. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye now. Now back to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. And a big thank you to uh, singer Ronnie Romero. Do check out Richie Blackmore's Rainbow Memories in rock too. I have heard it. It is fantastic. So do check that out. Check out the Corleone as well. And now stick around and check out my interview with Alex Mitchell of the band Circus of Power. They were once here. They were gone. Now they're back. New album is called Four. And so without further ado, here's interview three talking about album Four by Circus of Power. Lead singer, the one, the only Alex Mitchell. We are speaking with singer Alex Mitchell of the band Circus of Power. New album out on Noise in the Attic Records is four. And it's been uh, quite a while since we've heard new music from the guys. Uh, Alex, great pleasure. I'm in Montreal. You're from Toronto. So, yeah. It's Canadian connection. We got to love that right off the yes, bat. Yes, brother.
0: Is oh, it, yeah.
2: Is it Leafs fans versus Hab fans here? Are we starting with the hockey oh, thing first? bye.
0: Bye. I was the Leafs fan as a kid, you know, with Mahovlich and Johnny Bauer and Dave Keon. But I, I lived in New York for eleven years and went to so many Rangers games that I, uh, I became a Rangers fan.
2: Okay, see, so now I can respect you. <laughs> and-
0: <laughs> and when I became a Rangers fan, they they won the cup for the first time in like 40 something years. So I, I guess I brought them good luck.
2: Oh, there you go. So so perhaps you should become a Vegas Golden Knights fan this year, so, so they can be the <laughs> the expansion team that wins a cup. But all right, let's let's talk about uh, four. And of course, uh, it's been a while. Last album, Magic and the Madness, came out in 1993. So we're looking at 24 years because it was a. Uh, 2017, in December, that 4 came out.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Let's get caught up. What have you been doing for 24 years, and what sort of motivated you to say, okay, I'm going to take another kick at this can?
0: I, uh, I was in some bands uh, with the, the guy we're the guys who plays guitars on the record, and um, but it was pretty low-key. Um, I My heart has never really been in any other project as much as uh, the Circus of Power thing. Um, which I kind of started with um, the original guitar player, Ricky in New York. And it was my name, the band and artwork and direction of the band and all that. So I kind of felt comfortable getting it back together. Although I didn't for a long while for 24 years or whatever, because I wanted it to be the same guys, but like, Eventually, you know, I, I'm a bit of a bonehead, but not that much of a bonehead. After 24 years, I got in my head that, okay, after asking these guys so many times to get back together and do some music, it's not going to happen. So I was, I woke up one night and that movie Almost Famous was on, and the scene when the bus is going down the road in the desert and Tangerine by Led Zeppelin comes on. That's when I turned it on, TV on, and that second I was like, that's it. I'm getting the band together, starting tomorrow, and I did
2: right. And, and now, talk to me about the musical style here, because you know, when you came out with Circus of Power in '88, and then Vice's Magic, there was a sound going on. There was there was a scene going on. Now there's sort of no restraints. You can make a a classic record. You can make a, a pop record. Talk to me about what you wanted to do. Did you want to sort of reinvent the band sound or do you want to say, no, this is who we are and I'm going to go back to doing what we do?
0: Well, if if I'm, you know, I'm going to be singing, so it's going to sound like us anyway to an extent. But um, I have way more control over what goes on as compared to the first time around with the other guys. I was just pretty much one-fifth of the band. And with these guys... um, I just have more uh, say with what's, what's going. I mean, you've heard the record. There's there's stuff on there. There's poetry and stuff on there. But, um, you know, on, uh, um, on some of the songs and there's trippy stuff and there's old school country and there's metal. And I just wanted to, you know, it'd be easy for us to just come out the record with a bunch of songs that sound like Motor and Call the Wild and Fast and Easy. And OK, that's what they do. But that's not what we just do. Everybody in the band has got expanded musical interests. And we we love a band like The Damned. And we also love uh, Hank Williams, Hank Williams Jr., Hank Williams III, (laughs) um, you know, John Coltrane, whatever it is, it is, you know. And so all those things creep into our music.
2: Moving forward, though, is is this something that it's a one-off? We've come back. We've made a final statement. Or do you see yourself saying, okay, now we're here, and let's start building this thing again. Um,
0: what are sort of the, is, the, the yeah? This is till the day I die. From now on, okay. This, this train doesn't. This train doesn't stop for anybody anymore. It's just we already have a whole other record written. Uh, half of it's demoed. You know, um, I'm. I'm. In, I, I'm a lot more creative than I was back then. We would struggle to get eleven or twelve songs together for a record back then. Um, you know, I've got 20, 25 songs r- lying around. Right now that are really good um so we're gonna keep rolling i love it man that's what i do you know and you're doing right now you're doing what you do you know right. uh john lee hooker played till he was dead you know paul newman's gonna act until he's dead it's it's what we do
2: it, it really is and it's what keeps us going so so let's look back at these early days first album comes out it gets up to number 185 on the billboard charts um Talk to me what what was going on with the band at that time, and in terms of, um, did you think that you know this is the next big thing? Talk to me about working it and getting out there and and, and getting on that Black Sabbath uh, tier tour, and um, sort of what happened afterwards. Why did we stop after three well, albums?
0: Well, first of all, I, I didn't I didn't really know it was going to do anything or or any of our records because we were much different we were less formulaic than all those other bands were that we were lumped in with, you know? Um, and I love some of those bands. I love the four horsemen. I love the, the, the electric record by the cult and, and the, um, uh, Sonic temple and, and the first guns record is great. There's some great records coming up back then, but a lot of them, you know, we were we were just different. And, um, I knew it spelled sort of trouble from the beginning because, you need to be pigeonholed. You need to be scanned and sold by record companies. And I understand that. Um, And, and now, um, so anyways, by the time the second record was even together, uh, was being put together, we were kind of growing apart. Um, And a lot of it had to do with the signs of the times, which were, you know, booze and drugs and excess, you know, and some bands can handle that. And some bands can't. I was one of the people that couldn't. I wasn't. I wasn't able to keep up with my responsibilities as well as I should. I don't want to speak for the other guys. Just speak for myself. And um, yeah, you know, it was just um, that was the head that I was in. So by the time the third record came around, we were even more disjointed. And um, I don't know. Now I feel like it's just. Yes, it's the same sounding kind of band, but it's different. It's more relevant. It's now. I didn't want to. I told the guys when I got this band like together, whatever a year and a half, two years ago. I said, if you guys want to go out and do Motor and Call the Wild every night, you get the wrong guy. If you want to make new music and be relevant and be a now band, you know, starting sort of over, then I am your guy. You know, and so that's that's the approach we've taken. So, so talk to me about
2: starting over because you do have a brand, Circus of Power, mm-hmm. and, and you're using it. But there's challenges, you know, getting a oh, label, yeah. getting a... Uh, talk to me about those channels, because the landscape has changed. I mean, before, mm-hmm. Record Company gave you some cash, they put you on the road, right. you got on the first part of Black Sabbath, and off you go. Now, Well,
0: first, let me, let me give the, the credit, some serious <laughs> yes. credit to the guys that played on her record. Um, my, you know, Sharky, Billy, um, uh, Bramp York... Uh, Our keyboard player and um, uh, Joe, those guys. This record was made for fifteen hundred dollars. It was recorded, mixed, and mastered for fifteen hundred bucks, and it sounds pretty good for for that. Um, So we were able to handle that end of things, but not having any money to go and do a whatever. You know, back then they give you a hundred grand, two hundred grand to go and do a record, at least seventy five or eighty. You know um and i just feel like if you've got a good product in this world nowadays whether it's the you know uh like we're not reinventing the wheel i get that but if you've got a really good product whether it's a Chotsky, a, a grommet that goes on a on a bicycle or a, if you're a great artist or if you make a good record i think eventually through word of mouth and the internet and all that people will um will be uh turned onto it And we've got nine or 10 reviews that have come in and all of them are like crazy great reviews so that tells me something but yeah the frustrating part is just getting like everyone that hears it loves it but how do i get people to listen to it and it's not a super singles oriented record you know it's like an it's like an aor record sort of you know um, album oriented rock kind of record there's a couple singles on there but it's just a strong record all the way through so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I kind of leave that up to the music gods, you know, whatever happens happens If we are lucky enough to get on a good tour or we get a song on a car commercial or in a movie or, you know, if one of our singles takes off and, you know, somebody, it's just, you know, they, in a way it's a crap shoot and in a way it's, uh, you need a bit of luck and in, in right time, right place and all that. But, Whatever it is, we're just happy to be doing what we're doing again. And, yeah. and we're very humble and grateful and all that, as corny as that sounds.
2: Yeah, and, and, and of course, part of it now is looking for different, and, and I hate to use the word revenue streams, but that's what he really wants. Mm-hmm. To,
0: to get it into well, a movie Well, that's my world. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. My, you know, I'm glad we got Damon. You know, um, he's a one-man show pretty much, but the guy busts his ass for this band, and I really love him for that. He loves our band, you know. And, uh, it's hard, man. He's got 10 million podcasts out there and you'd like to get your music, each one of them, you know, and it's just all these different avenues of online magazines, regular magazines. It's a huge world to try and spread out to, to get, but I'm glad we have him because I'm not involved in any of that. I barely go online. I barely use my cell phone. Um, you know, I actually, I read books. <laughs> right, uh, and, and, and you, you public, I watch you also, public TV.
2: You also write books. Into, what's that?
0: You also write. Yeah, books. yeah. Uh, I also I, write, and I'm an old school like Renaissance guy. You know, I, I'm. Uh, that's what um, excites me is being able to rig a sailboat, to do carpentry, to be in a band, to. Uh, raise a wolf to write a book. I try yeah. to do the things I like I try to do. And um so music's the priority though now. Uh,
2: yeah. yeah, and it's yeah, same thing.
0: So quickly, if I drift uh, along, I'm along i just stream of consciousness with me, you know, I'm
2: I do want to talk about writing books. Uh you, you did work in class superstar Talk to me about that process in terms of a creative outlet, because writing songs and writing books, they're both writing, but of course they have different purposes, different ways to...
0: um... Writing books is way harder than fucking doing music. Right. It's just night and day. If you pick up a book by Dostoevsky or something that was written a hundred years ago when there was uh, barely typewriters... And it's a thousand pages long, and if you made a mistake on one page, you'd have to redo all the pages to get them. You know, it's like I don't, need, I can't even conceive of how those guys wrote those books. They're just like the work that went into them is incredible. Even this the work that went into goes into my books is a lot of work just to make them look decent. Um, the best book I have is called The Strange Case of the Flying Meatballs. It's about the last <laughs> couple of years of my father, who was a, a drinking, brawling singing, dancing, Scotsman, old school as you could be, refused to get on cell phones, refused to look at computers, you know, and and died that way. The last couple of years of his life, he had Alzheimer's and then dementia, which I knew nothing about. And uh, but like I learned about and uh, through the heartbreaking process, I don't know if you've ever been through anything like that. My, my dad
2: has dementia as we speak. And he's, he's OK, aged,
0: man. So, he's, you know, it. I, I know. Heartbreaking.
2: He's yeah. uh, 88 so, now, and the last few years he doesn't know who I am. He doesn't right. know what I do.
0: It, it rips your heart out, you know. Yes. So, um, and I was close with my dad, and, and even though we butted heads many a time, um, but the thing is, is that um, it's a comedy. That book, and it's about is it Alzheimer's comedy because there's a lot of funny moments before my dad really. You know, he recognized this till the end. He did. He he knew if he was able to piece together a few things. He right up until the day died. But um, there was a lot of funny moments, man. And some of them, some of them sad, funny, and some of them just fucking funny. And I wrote about that. And that's my best book. I've got two books out on um, on Lulu dot com um, you can get right now. And I'm reissuing the other books and writing another one right now. But yeah, I enjoy it. I mean, it's in a way, it's a torturous process, but I I kind of have to do it, if that makes any sense. Yes, of course. I, I don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah,
2: that, that, that's what creative types do. they 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 got to get that stuff out. Um, After Circus of Power ended back in the day, you tried a few other bands, uh, Uncle Max's, mm-hmm. uh, Fat Nancy, Yeah. What brings you back to Circus of Power now? Why not just continue with one of, one of those projects? Why not just be the Alex Mitchell band or just Alex Mitchell solo or what brings you back to the brand name is is it really because there is because that's uh, yeah
0: because that's me you know that's that was i came up with that name and that's me that was my dream when i came up with the band and i love the guys that were in the original band and everything um but it doesn't matter that much to me that i'm not playing with them anymore especially once we started making this record and i started saying oh shit and easy is a great song oh whoa uh You know, uh, Princess of Mars is really cool. That's something the original band would have never done. And now I don't think about it at all. You know, um, one of our, that song, Half a Dozen Roses, I wrote with Gary, Sunshine, from Circus of Power. The song, um, and I'd like to write more stuff with him. Um, Hard Drive and Sister is an old song uh, I wrote with Rick from Circus of Power that we never put out. Just I found it on a demo a few years ago and said, wow, let me do this song. So, and I'm I'm writing, I'm going to uh, record two songs that Bram Bjork and I wrote in, uh, two weeks. Um, I'm writing with Nick Oliveri from Queens, the stone age. Um, so I'm, I'm writing as, with as many cats as I can and all of them are super talented. That's why I've just got a lot of music going on now. Um, well, the, to answer your question, uh, cause I, if I called the Alex Mitchell band, you and I wouldn't be talking right now, yeah. you know, it doesn't get the same attention as if I put that word circus of power on it. Also, Oh, you know, and I have people like, Getting in contact with me, they would never have known the Alex Mitchell band or whatever the hell I want to call it, and going, "Wow, I can't believe you're back together again." And they have no idea who's in the band. Except they know I am, and I'm not being egotistical about about that. That that touches my heart when people contact me and, and go, "I'm so glad the band's back together again." Even though they don't know it's not the same guys, they don't care, and they go, "Your new song is fucking great, man. I'm so glad. Come over to England or whatever the hell it is." And that all is a cathartic process where. I just can't get caught up in the past anymore. I'm, you know, I just just, just can't. I've got to go ahead with the future.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, just for those listening, uh, Brant Bjork, of course, of Caius. and for me, American Monster on uh, the new album for just just a kick-ass song. I mean, the first time I heard it, I, I, you know, sometimes when you listen to an album the first time, you're just skipping through it to get through just to sort of yep. get a feel that one it i had to go from start to finish it just it grabbed me right away so
0: it's kind of a punk rocky misfits ramonesy kind of jam
1: yeah um
0: i'll tell you a funny stuff about listening to this record because everyone that that really is into this record it's four five six times and i'll give you a perfect example a guy did a review of us right and i was doing an interview with him right before i did the interview with him on the phone I checked his interview out, and it was an average. It was the first average inter- uh, review of the record we had. He says it's a really good record, but it's not. It's not going to set the world on fire. And I looked at it right away, and I could just tell it was lazy journalism, and that that bothers me. Like, if you don't like the record, or you love the record, I'm good with that either way. But if you're a lazy journalist, then I got a fucking problem with you. And I got in contact with. I talked to the guy, and I'm talking. He's talking to me on the phone. He goes, "Listen, man, I think this is one of the records of the year. I mean." He started naming all the songs, uh, and I was like, thanks, I didn't say anything. I go, thank you very much, you know, I didn't say anything. And he kept going on and on about it. I said, okay, listen, dude, i got to stop you. Why didn't you write this in your review? And he goes, because I listened to it, I'll tell you the truth now, I listened to it once. I went jogging, I came home, I had to submit this, and I, I, I jumped the gun. I said, then, tomorrow morning, you got to get up as a journalist and fucking write an addendum to that thing and, and fix your review. Not because I'm telling you to, just because it's the right thing to do.
2: I agree and with that I didn't even go
0: back to check it, but he he texted me and said that's exactly what I'm going to do and I respected him for that.
2: Yeah, and I agree with that. Um <laughs> and the and the one thing I try to pride myself on is to not be lazy. Uh let me go here. Uh, right. You did, you did an interview in 2008 where you mm-hmm. said the only singer for Black Sabbath is Ozzy. Right. Um, and of course you had gone on tour when the band had Tony Martin. Uh, let me ask you about that. Is that something that you feel, and and do you not um, like or or maybe respect, or do you not? I mean, Ronnie James Dio oh, did nope. a, did a great job. So no, so. nothing
0: against those guys. Okay, nothing against those guys. I just think it's this is part of you can't look. We're talking about Ozzy, first of all. You know, and, and no, right. no disrespect to those other guys. We're talking about one of the. They played some Sabbath today when I was at work and you can't touch that shit man you can't touch it those first three or four records are just deadly the first one especially and and paranoid also and it's just like there's not just Aussie but the jazz riffs and the blues on the guitar and the drums and the bass it's just ridiculous and no one was there, no one was doing that at that time at all you know and so I feel that about that. I feel that Frank's the only singer for four, four horsemen that Axel's is the only singer for um, guns and roses and all that. Yeah, I do. I just do. It's really hard to come in after someone's made an, um, an impact and, t- and step into those shoes. I can't think of a, of a, of a time when, you know, an instance that I would say, Oh, this new singer, he's better than the last one or something. Like even with ACDC, I love Bon Scott, man. And, and and the other guy does a great job at all that, but to me, it you can't even touch Bon Scott. You can't replace Phil Lynott from Lizzie. There's just people you can't replace.
2: There are some. I mean, uh, not that we want we're going to get into a large debate about this, but I would suggest right. perhaps
0: I'm I'm generalizing, man. Yeah, right,
2: No, yeah, but I would suggest perhaps for those listening that Bruce Dickinson uh, took over from Maiden, and yes, Deano's great. Paul Deano's fantastic, but but come on you're not going to tell me that Bruce didn't take that band to, to, to the next level. Right. I mean, that's, that's, no, maybe, you're right.
0: But I'm not an exception. Iron Maiden fan. So, to be very honest with you, I mean, you know, yeah, that's the deal.
2: Um, All right. So let me just, I, I really want to just sort of get that, that, that Black Sabbath take for you. So, you know, you're, you're, you're on tour with them and you're, and, and, Ozzy's your guy, but you've got Tony Martin. They're playing the songs. Were you there, side stage, checking this out? And were you sort of going?
0: Oh, I was watching watching Tony Iommi, man. Guy's he, he, unbelievable. Still is, you know. Uh, legend on guitar. Uh, we played with um, Alice in Chains, right? Right before right. they kind of Lane kind of just lost it. Right. On the middle of this eight uh, eight tour, the opening band was Masters of Reality, who I love. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Chris Goss, who produced Queens of the Stone Age. Do you know those guys?
2: I know the guys. I don't know that band, though.
0: Get get the first two... Get all the Masters of Reality records, but especially the first one. Uh, Rick Rubin uh, produced it. It's okay. on, um, on, on on his label, American Recordings. Okay. And on the tour, Ginger Baker from Cream played drums, right? So That's I'm not sweet. an idiot. Ginger Baker fu- fucking sits down at the drums. I sit there like a little school child every, every night and watch him All... Both feet and both hands doing completely different things. Genius, you know, jazz rock drummer. Um, yeah, I, when I see somebody that that I really respect, man, I'm a student, you know, I, absolutely.
2: Well, so then let me ask you, when you see a Sabbath tour going on, what do you learn from them? Because you are at the time, and, and this is not disrespectful, but you were the rookies. And mm-hmm. you're learning how to get a you know a massive thing oh, going. Oh, you know,
0: dude, you couldn't teach us anything back then. We were right. boneheads, especially okay. me. I was the worst, the worst of the bunch. You couldn't tell us anything. We were hot and cold uh, live. We'd come out and do some good shows. We'd do three or four terrible ones. You know, that's we just weren't consistent. Mostly my fault. Just wasn't uh, wasn't together, and it would never happen again. All the shows we do now kick ass from beginning to end.
2: What has changed other than just age? I mean, is it just wisdom of maturity or or is there like, okay, no, now we learned that? Well, i
0: never... Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, wisdom and maturity, yeah. Respect for the audience, respect for my band members, respect for the label that's putting on the stuff, respect for the promoter, just, you know, respect for all those people and not being a selfish little prick and going on, you know, hung over and sweating like a motherfucker and not being able to perform to, to the max, you know, or, you know... Yeah, I just, you know, all those things, I'd never, I take care of my body better now, and everything. and just like, I'm going on, I want to sound really good, the same way a guitar player should sound good, I should sound good, or a drummer, or whatever, so yeah, everything's changed, every possible thing regarding that.
2: So the whole setup, and uh, we talk a little bit about what the plans for the future are, and you want to keep this going. Is there a timeline? Is there a tour? I mean, we're we're early 2018. Is there talks of getting you on the uh, on you know opening slot on a, a slot on the bill? Are we looking at starting and recording the second album in the next couple of months? Where, where are we sort of not the second well, album, but you know what I mean? Um, you know what?
0: Yeah, I don't just say I don't know. I have no idea like if, how we're gonna tour, who we're gonna tour with, where we're gonna do. We might do some shows in in uh, New York with Warrior Soul and Junkyard in May um looking to get some shows out here and um uh, looking to get a good agent and all that. we're not set up with all that stuff yet the record's been out for a month and yeah we're gonna do another video another couple of videos for the record hope everything goes great we sell a bunch of records but i'm not waiting on that or counting on any of that like i said we're going to record two grant York songs in two weeks we're gonna release those you know release them on itunes release them on our websites and all that and um whether they go on a record or not, I want to record these songs. They're hot, and I want to get them out, and I want to keep creating and all that, I don't want to wait for another year and do do the formulaic process. Okay, now you go to record. Now you do uh, the rock song then the metal song. Then you do the mid-tempo. Then you do the ballad. Then you do it all over again. You need to go on tour and all. I don't want to be formulaic at all. I just want to make music.
2: So, yeah, and, that, um, and that's really that's one of the doing. greatest changes of the new sort of business model is that you don't have right. to wait two years if you got a song that you really think is kicking right. now it comes out yeah, now out. and that's
0: great yeah that, i mean i noticed what prince was doing that be, you know a few years back i was like he says oh, i'll put at singles I mean, he's very he was very quirky and you know kind of contrary in all the ways um but i liked a lot of the th- things that he did i liked that idea go oh he's just going to put out singles okay great you know and All you have to do is download it for a buck, and it's yours. If if you don't want to buy an album that's got nine or ten average songs on it, but two great ones, yeah, there is an advantage to doing stuff like that. But for me, um, I don't want to necessarily make rhyme and reason. Like, I I just want to. I just. I told the guys the other day. Go. They go. Well, what are we going to do with the songs? I go. We're going to release them, and we're going to like. We're going to deny. We're gonna just be different. <laughs> we're not gonna be formulaic. We're not gonna go with the same thing that everybody does. We're just gonna release them, and that's that. Maybe we'll do a video for them or whatever, but we're just gonna release music.
2: Yeah, and that's and that's do that's
0: my intention.
2: Alex, are, are, are you, cool? hey, you know, yeah. <laughs>
0: With the way the world is now, get out as much music as you can <laughs> before the polarized caps melt or before our nutty president does something ridiculous. Yeah. Get the music out now. You know, I'm not rushing anything. I'm just doing it as it comes.
2: Mu- yeah, mu- music is the savior for us, uh, Alex. Great yeah. pleasure, great great pleasure. Circus of Power Four too, is out now through Noise in the Attic Records. Uh, of course, available. On all your digital platforms, Amazon, all that wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, absolutely fantastic, and hopefully, hopefully, we will get to see you in Montreal soon yeah. or up here. I know a bunch of club owners, so if you want to have any help with that, more than happy to. Right you. on. And, uh,
0: so, yeah. tell me this: So, do you do you go back to the John Beliveau days and Pocket Rocket, Richard, and all those boys?
2: I grew up, believe it or not, uh, as the neighbor <laughs> of Ken Dryden.
0: Wow. Okay, but you're 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 okay. So you're a, a little uh, a little older school than you.
2: Yeah. No. Listen. I start. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm 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 turning fifty this year. So.
0: Yeah. So, but, Dryden was one of the best goalies ever, man.
2: But Dryden lived right across from us. Wow. And, and my buddy who lived in the town over, he had Guy Lafleur as his neighbor. <laughs> so, so The he, flower. Uh- yeah, so he'd come play at my house back in the day, and 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 we'd go hang out and look at Ken Dryden, and go, oh look, there's Ken and then we'd go play at his house and go, oh look, there's Gilles. Wow,
0: <laughs> that is so cool.
2: Yeah, so it it was a, it was an interesting uh, experience, and and of course the Habs, and for the Montreal Canadiens, for those who don't know what a, what a hab is, les um, habitats, les
0: habitants.
2: Les habitants uh, are yeah. awful. They 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 are awful this year. And the least. But the first are... bad
0: year they've had in a while. They've they've been pretty consistent for a long long time. But and they they have one of the the most fanatical cult followings in the world. That's like Manchester United or the or New York Absolutely. Yankees or something like that. They they have a really like hardcore following, man.
2: But the problem is, is that we haven't won a Stanley Cup since 1993. So to finish in the top three of the league for the last five years as we have yeah. and have nothing to show for it, well, you might as well finish 30th. It doesn't really change anything.
0: Yeah, man. Only one team can, can win, win the, all, the, all the bananas, you know? You know but the, but rest, the, the rest of us are like, ah, God damn it.
2: Yeah, but when everybody says you've got the best goalie in the whole planet and, right. and you can't bring home some hardware,
0: meh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, I can go on and on about this about my Rangers and all that stuff too, but uh we'll have to hang out sometime, brother.
2: Absolutely and yeah, and both oh, our goalies oh, are both our goalies are on are on the downside unfortunately. It seems to be uh
0: Oh uh, you know what? Here's what last thing is I my opinion about um about the Rangers goaltender, uh, is that um they should have traded him a long time ago. He's amazing when he doesn't have to be. When he gets in the playoffs and it's a pressure game like the series against the Kings four or five years ago, he let in some goals that I could have stopped. So I'm not a big fan of um, the King.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, I'm I'm at the <laughs> point where I think we should trade Carey Price. I, I love yeah, Carey you Price.
0: You two good players for him.
2: We we would probably get a couple because we're we're not. He's what thirty something. Yeah. he's down to his last like sort of three or four good years right. of playing and we're not going right. to win a cup in the next three four years so we might as right. well so cash a in our solid
0: defenseman and a, and a forward that can score 20 goals 25 goals get a center good.
2: and we're good but anyway thank you sir yeah. and uh, i will talk to damon <laughs> if you need any help on getting some shows up here we'll see what we can do and uh there you go uh four folks yeah go buy it it's uh, it's worth it. thanks brother cheers bye-bye This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFond. Mitch LaFond.